In a world of what are yous, welcome to the place where the answer is always human. My name is Natalie and you're listening to Some Kind of Brown, a podcast about mixed and multiracial life, current events, and ways to build the best life by a southern girl who's trying to figure it out for herself. Hello again, welcome everybody to a new episode of Some Kind of Brown. We have another very special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, everybody. My name is Melissa Sheldon, and I am a voice actor, producer, fellow podcaster as well, and I'm happy to be here. And she has an excellent radio voice that you guys (laughs) will be blessed with. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'm so jealous. I went one day I will hit my second puberty and sound like an adult. <laughs> I think you have a wonderfully sweet voice. <laughs> Thank you. So before we were recording, we were talking about how you identify and kind of how that's a really interesting topic for you. And mm-hmm. I wanted to start recording really quickly so we could talk about that because it's actually very interesting. Sure. I use Latinx when I talk about what we would call Hispanic before. Mm -hmm. And I asked you how you like to identify as far as terms go. Yes. So I go for Latinx as well. I like the non-gendered nature of it. It can get complicated too if you look at like hashtags and things like that on social media. Oh, yeah. The difference between Latino (laughs) and Latina. Wow. But yeah, so I use Latinx, although to be honest, I feel like I mostly relate to Chicano and Chicana. But I think a lot of people don't really know what that is. Some people see that as a negative thing. And so I just kind of go with Latinx since a lot of people know what that is now, which is a good thing, I think. Well, I actually don't know about Chicano, Chicana, that term and why it would be negative. We have a lot of listeners from other countries, too. I think it would be interesting if you could tell us a little bit about that term. Sure. To me, at least the way that I was raised, where I was raised, Chicano, Chicana is, you know, specifically of Mexican descent rather than of Latin American descent. Uh So sometimes we like to subdivide. And and so some people like that term, some people don't, some people want to be included in Latino or Latinx, some people don't. For me, I, I like having something that includes Mexico, where my mom is from. I like Chicano, Chicana, but Latinx is great too, you know, as long as it's getting in front of people so they get some kind of brown. <laughs> some kind of shade of something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was talking to my friend Sam last year about this, and he is mixed with white, mm-hmm. and he had a lot of trouble with labeling as well. And to me, the whole thing sounds almost like... Mm, how an Asian person would identify as Asian American and then also Chinese American or Japanese American and there are those subcategories. Yes. Part of what Sam and I talked about is Latinx is very new. These terms that we're using, it's ever evolving. Mm -hmm. I actually don't see why you can't have Latinx as this umbrella term and then be able to identify as Chicana. I agree. I agree. I think... I like to use it interchangeably. One, because people are aware of Latin X versus Chicano Chicana, uh-huh. but also, yeah, why not? Why not celebrate one? You have a word that you can use that unites you with everyone, kind of, and then you have your own specific word. And I think that's cool. You are mixed with Mexican and Argentinian, correct? Mm-hmm. Is there anything else ethnically in there? 
Yeah. So my dad is from Oklahoma. So he's half Scottish and half Native American. Okay. So, <laughs> so you got all kinds of stuff in there. Yeah. So how do you personally identify? Do you identify as mixed or is that not a big deal for you? Actually, I guess more than anything, I identify as culturally Hispanic. And it's funny that you ask that question because I talk about that a lot. There is your ethnicity and then there's your culture. Mm -hmm. And I think they can be the same, but often they can be very different too. I know several people who are Caucasian that grew up alongside me in my neighborhood and that are more Hispanic or Mexican than some people named Rodriguez. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) So it depends on how you're raised and what you're raised with. Culturally speaking, I identify as Hispanic, just growing up speaking Spanish with the culture and everything. I'm kind of sad, though, that I didn't get exposed to like my dad's side of the family with the the Scottish influence, the Native American influence, very little of that. But uh, I'd really love to explore some of that, too. Well, if that's something you want to discover, we can keep talking because I am actually rediscovering and reconnecting to my Choctaw and Cherokee side as well. So cool. Yeah, I've been getting more involved in that community and learning more from my cousins who are more in the culture than I am. But I always say it's never too late to get started discovering parts of yourself if that's something that's really important to you. Absolutely. So we are Chickasaw, and I've only been to Oklahoma, to the reservation once or twice in my life. And I was so young that I didn't understand it. Yeah. But I would really like to go back and learn about that part of the culture, too, because I think it's really important. You know, you have these marginalized groups that you can go and understand their experience. I think it's super important. Absolutely. Do you have family that you're in contact with that are on that side? Yeah, a little bit. I don't have a ton of contact with my family in general, but yeah, every now and then I send emails, have a couple phone calls with them. But yeah, I haven't had the time to invite myself over there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, usually with basically every Native community, you you tell them you're coming to visit and the rug gets pulled out, you know? (laughs) Or what is it called? The, The runner runway red carpet. That's it. The red oh, carpet okay. gets pulled out. <laughs> I like that. The carpet gets pulled out. <laughs> I was like, wait, that means it gets pulled out from under you. That's the wrong one. <laughs> I got you. I got you. <laughs> when we were talking before, you said that your podcast is an audio drama and you were inspired to start because there weren't a lot of people of color or Latinx background, correct? Yeah. And... For me, especially, I don't feel like I have the gift of gab like <laughs> you where I can I can engage with people. I wanted to do something of my own. And I thought, you know what, though, I want to be collaborative with other uh, voice actors, too, because we spend most of our time ultimately kind of sort of competing for, for roles. And the voice acting community is actually really, really supportive of each other because it's such a competitive field, I think. It was nice to just say, you know what, I'm going to do something of my own and kind of hang out with some new people and try to do something fun. And yeah, so (laughs) bam, audio drama. (laughs) How was that for you having all these podcasts and oh man, there are so many podcasts out there and not seeing yourself reflected in them? Oh man, that's a really good question. To be honest, I 
kind of expect that. Maybe that's tragic. Maybe that's a little bit sad. But I think that I'm just so used to seeing Caucasians and their culture and the things that they do that I just sort of think, well, yeah, of course, you know, (laughs) I want that. I want that Hispanic culture to come out, but I just... I've been waiting for a while for something to happen. And I thought, you know what, instead of waiting, let's just do it. I think I've brought this up before on the podcast, but there's a Toni Morrison quote that I absolutely adore. It's about books, but I think it can apply to a lot of different areas. It's if you want to read a book and it hasn't been written, you write it. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. That's sometimes that's kind of how these podcasts get started. Like Charmaine from Militantly Mixed and I both. We didn't see anyone who was currently talking about mixed race topics. And you're always kind of looking for people who have the similar experiences. And we just did it because there was nothing else. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You got to create a community if no one's going to. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard because with for me with audio drama, I don't I don't necessarily get to explore the culture like that. But I also think it's important that we're not just talking about the culture, but we're also relating, you know what I mean? Like talking about the places that we all intersect. And mm-hmm. for, for me, for XY, my podcast, I really wanted that. I wanted that common ground of like, like, it doesn't matter what your background is. I want as many backgrounds as I possibly can involved in this thing. But also, what are the things that we all agree on? What are the things that we all experience? And let's talk about those and maybe start there. I don't know. I mean, that's a fair thing to say, because I know that you've only listened to a couple episodes Mm -hmm. of mine, which I'm grateful for. But (laughs) you'll find that when you get a lot of mixed people together, no matter what your mix is or what ethnic background you come from, there are some experiences to being mixed or multiracial that are just universal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, people who expect you to speak a certain language and you don't speak it, to look a certain way, or colorism is a really big problem, not just in the Black community. It's, it's a lot of commonalities and struggles that are similar. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of talk about the unique ways that you feel it in your personal experience. For sure. Absolutely. And so much of that intersect. One of the things that I tell people about is I'm from Corpus Christi, Texas, and Selena was from there, you know, Selena, the singer. So Mm -hmm. I grew up with a lot of her stuff, a lot of her influence, right? And the Selena movie came out. There's a quote in there where somebody says like, yeah, but when you're mixed, you have to speak English perfectly and you have to speak Spanish perfectly. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And that resonated with me so hard because... (laughs) Because that's how I was raised, right? No, you don't have an accent. You don't have that. You need to be perfectly American and perfectly Mexican in my case, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that that came out a lot. I think that's kind of interesting, that whole crossover, you know? And then there's the fact that some of us are light skin, some of us are darker skin. Like, I'm lighter skin because of the Argentinian, I think, in my family. My brother, on the other hand, he's a half-brother. Super dark. And so people don't even think we're related most of the time. Oh. And... <laughs> And it's just funny how people expect things of you when you look a certain way, you know? And the funny thing is I'm fluent in Spanish. He doesn't speak a lick of Spanish, none. And he looks far more of that than me. And so it really messes with people, you know, but I kind of enjoy that. <laughs> it's very interesting. When you're mixed, 
with my siblings especially we all look very very different really i am now the lightest of the four of us i used to not be i used to be the second lightest but yeah somebody started tanning um (laughs) and i hate the sun so (laughs) we we switched i I do but uh, my youngest sister is very very dark compared to the rest of us she has some internalized colorism issues I told her I was going to tan because she told me she hated how dark she was. And I was like, nope, okay, I'm going to tan now and we're going to be the same. She's like, no, don't you dare. Your skin is pretty. It was awful. And she was a teenager when that happened. Wow. No one had ever said anything to her. It was very strange when she started saying those things because we didn't know where she was getting it. But she was just being observant. She felt like she didn't belong because she was darker. When you're mixed and you have a lot of ethnicities in you, we have a lot in my family, you never know how children are going to come out. Yeah, It's always interesting to see how families, mixed families, kind of turn out that way. Yeah. And then you have like standards of beauty, too, that you kind of very clearly see, too, even in the Latino community and stuff. Like, you know, my grandmother would watch her novelas and stuff. Right. And you see all the actors on TV are light skinned for the most part, you know, especially the women. And for a while, that's what I thought you're supposed to look like Uh to be representative like that. And I didn't see it until really all of my friends did not look like that. And I thought, this is more normal. This is more common. The whole TV is not reality thing, you know? Yeah. So it's interesting where we get our cultural standards of beauty from. It's funny. From outside the community, I don't have any Latinx mixed in with me. It's probably the only thing I don't have (laughs) mixed in. From the outside and from an American standpoint, when I think of someone who's Latinx, I think of someone who is more tan. I think... Yeah. Uh, America Ferreira. Maybe she's not more tan, but like Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. That's a better one. Yeah. That skin color. Like she's tan. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think of when I think of Latinx, not the lighter standard. Maybe it's uniquely an American thing because we have that whole like standard of tanning and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, look at beauty pageants. We're both from the South. True. And beauty pageants, they're tanned. Yeah, very tan. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because that's considered healthy, I think. You know, you go out in the sun. I don't know if it's like a maybe a more outmoded thing. I I don't really know. But I know that like my parents and a lot of people of their generation, they think that you're in the sun, so you're automatically healthy, right? Like that's, it doesn't damage your skin or anything. No, no, it's just (laughs) the sun is the best thing ever. When they used to go sunbathe with like baby oil yeah, and like the, on their skin. The tin, the reflective tin. I don't know. This is a total cliche now, but yeah. <laughs> the first time I've ever seen those reflective tins was actually in Taylor Swift's most recent music video. <laughs> That's the first time I've actually seen people use those things. <laughs> it's like, a, I don't know, like a 50s thing. I have no idea. No idea, but I find it fun and hilarious because I don't know anyone who's ever used those things either. Uh, But, you know, getting back to skin color and Mm -hmm. standards of beauty, I was not aware. I guess I should have been more aware of the lighter skin being favorable in Latinx cultures. But, you know, I've seen the opposite in America. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah, I think it changed somewhere along the way, to be honest. I don't know who helped it change. I'm glad it changed, to be honest. 
but yeah, I think it has over the course of the years. I mean, I'm thinking in the 80s, you had a lot of light-complected Latinos on screen, but now that's not the case anymore. And I think that one of the things that I find myself explaining a lot is that we're not all the same color. Yeah. <laughs> I get that a lot, especially for me being light-skinned. I have green eyes, so people just automatically go, no, right? Like Latinos all have brown eyes. That's that, right? Oh, um, man. Yeah, it's usually not from a place of anything negative. It's just the lack of exposure, I think. So I find myself explaining a lot about like, no, no, there, there's a lot of variation. That's what's great about being Latino and, or Chicano or whatever is how much variation there is. I think that goes back to really what started you on this podcasting journey because you didn't see yourself reflected because people don't think about these things. What is a Latinx person? What do they look like? What is their culture? Some of us do have an idea of that, but there's not very much variation mm -hmm. or information out there for people to have a good idea or handle on some of these Latinx cultures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also when you think about it, if you're talking about an exclusively audio format, how do you communicate that culture because you I think you have one of two choices you embrace the culture and that's what you talk about and and that's important and then you ha also have that relatability of like well yeah but we're not also not so different from everyone else too that's actually really interesting in the voice acting community representation has become a really big discussion because of the fact that we're talking only audio so what does a Latino sound like how do you convey you know, without looking at them, we already know, right, there's a lot of visual variation, but without looking at them, how do you know? How do you represent Latino without seeing them? And so it's, it's an interesting discussion in the voice acting community, in the podcasting community about how do you represent that audibly? And I find it kind of fascinating. I'm trying to think. And the only thing I can think of as far as what does a Latinx person sound like, there's a podcast called Believer Skeptic. And it's hmm. by two gay guys. Mm -hmm. That's a whole thing. And one of them is a believer and one is a skeptic. Nice. Cody and Chris are awesome. And I really like hearing them talk. But Chris is Latinx. And the only way you know <laughs> is that he insists on pronouncing any Spanish word correctly. <laughs> Yeah, okay, yeah, guilty. <laughs> well, it's so funny because it's become a joke on their podcast. And I think that's a really interesting way to incorporate a culture or your ethnic background into something that's not related. There was um, Alexander Rojas. He always, Alexander Rojas. He would always say it like that. <laughs> and he, it was just some UFO conference person and he refused to say his name any other way <laughs> it's just become a joke five episodes in you know that chris is latinx so he's a latino gay yep. man and he will be unapologetic about it good so that's an interesting way to do it in an audio format <laughs> yeah absolutely you know what i have that same exact thing i don't know why i don't know if it comes from that like you need to speak spanish correctly and english correctly i don't know what it is but i get that too or like i cringe a little bit you know when you hear tortillas and stuff when you know <laughs> I, I have a lot of caucasian friends and i'm not one of those people that like insists other people say it correctly right but if I say it correctly, they don't know what I'm saying half the time. They're like, wait, what? How do you say it? And then 
and then it becomes a Spanish lesson. So like, <laughs> I get saying the Spanish things correctly. I really do. I relate to that so hard. <laughs> I try to pronounce things correctly, like people's names, not their American names. So when I'm talking to people who are Asian in that area, mm-hmm. I like to know their given name and try to pronounce it. And I have had a guest on who was Inupia. Mm-hmm. I try to pronounce her name, and even if I mess up, it's her name. Yeah. I shouldn't have to use, like, her American name. It's more respectful, I think. So I try to use correct pronunciations of things as much as I can, like Pakistan and things like that when I talk about the news, because I do talk mm-hmm. about that now. Yeah. So I don't think it's it's that bad. I think it's kind of respectful to acknowledge a cultural pronunciation. I think it kind of gives power back to that culture, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Because I mean, ultimately, if you're of a particular culture, you're not going to expect everyone to be able, at least you shouldn't (laughs) expect everyone to be able to pronounce it correctly 100% of the time. I don't have a a Hispanic sounding last name. But for people that I know that do, I think they just value the effort. Yeah, there's that narrative in America, we're in America, we speak English, which... (laughs) We're a melting pot. It's a whole. (laughs) Yes. It's so contradictory to everything I think America is supposed to be, but that that's a whole different discussion. (laughs) (laughs) But I say that because I think that people who have names that are kind of outside of this American European norm, Mm -hmm. you should expect people to at least try to say your name. And I feel like that's not happening. And I think it enables a little bit of ignorance in people, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know if it's just that there's this unwillingness to put yourself out there. And, you know, again, as an introvert, I kind of get that. But again, yeah, I I can see that. Maybe there needs to be some sort of reassurance of like, yeah, you can try. It's there's a difference between struggling to say like, I don't know, Rodriguez or something than it is to say it jokingly, because I hear a lot of that too. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but you know, when people over pronounce it and go Rodriguez, you know what I mean? And like really oh. hit it in a way that's funny. Like, I think if you're being respectful, you can find a good middle ground and nobody's going to fault you for not saying it right. And I don't know, maybe right. maybe we need to just reassure people like you can give it a shot. It's totally fine. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess that is a comfort thing as well, because being an extrovert, I didn't even think of that being a potentially awkward situation. (laughs) Uh, That didn't even occur to me, which is not fair. I guess that could be seen as very confrontational, and it's everyone's comfort limit. But I don't know, I feel like it should be an accepted thing to at least have the right to use your name. Yeah. It's, It's a strange conversation when you have this ideal America. And then you have people who take, well, uh, the reality of America, because even the people who wrote the Constitution were not the greatest of role models. No. (laughs) No, they were, they were idealists, right? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that, you know, like, yeah, it works in theory. Yeah. In theory. And (laughs) only works in theory for the groups they were theorizing for, because they Sure. <laughs> Surely did not mean for the world or America to look like what it does now, which is unfortunate. Right. Yep. I know. It's it's insane. 
And I think the worst thing is how numb to it you get, you know, because you hear about awful things all the time, mm -hmm. culturally, everything else. I mean, we're talking about institutionalized racism of African-Americans. We're talking about ICE stuff for Mexicans, you know, and for me, it doesn't it doesn't feel good. It's terrifying. Yeah, I, I have nieces and nephews still in South Texas and, you know, family of Brownsville, places right on the border. And my little niece talks about, you know, what if they come and get me? You know what I mean? Aww. And it's just so tragic to say, like, well, luckily you were born here, <laughs> you know, and you, you try <laughs> to like because they don't understand it being so young. Right. It, they're growing up in a, actually a really scary political climate, Yeah, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. The dialogue about the Latinx community, the rhetoric around the, the Latinx community needs to change. Yeah, I agree. Because it's way too violent. Yeah, it is. It's I don't know where people got this idea. I mean, growing up in the South, you get both of those influences, right? The Hispanic. Yeah. <laughs> I always grew up saying, like, how can we be both lazy and stealing everyone's jobs, right? Like, how does that? <laughs> that works, I have both. I don't know what the solution is, and I don't know if anybody does, but all the disinformation about culture mm -hmm. needs to change for sure. I totally agree with you on that. And I think normalizing it and getting in front of people like you're doing with your podcast is really important because, yeah, we're not all that different. <laughs> no. And, you know, there's something I since I do have friends from different communities, we were kind of talking about how I, I have a lot of Vietnamese friends, I have black friends, and I have Latinx friends. And like, we're all in the same friend group. Mm -hmm. We all have the same culture of uniting around food. I was just gonna say that. That's so funny. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like it's people treat us all like we're different. And we are they are different cultures. However, everyone is going to have that mother or grandmother who feeds you too much, <laughs> everyone is going to have that, why aren't you eating? Mm -hmm. There's always a family gathering and it always involves food. Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at it, these are very beautiful cultures and they have very common things. And I think that needs to be shown as well. Yeah. And I think uniting the culture with the food is super important. I think a lot of times, you know, I, I lived in Austin, Texas for a while, and there is this great culture there of like, we love the Mexican food for sure. You know, you have Tex-Mex, the whole thing. But then where are the Hispanic people? Oh, well, they live outside the city. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, maybe we can unite that. Like maybe, maybe just spitballing. Maybe you can have <laughs> a Hispanic person show you why they love that food and share new things with you. For the most part, I don't think it's a huge issue there, but I think in a lot of places, we tend to separate the food from the culture. Yeah. And I wish that we didn't. I actually think that there's some really interesting things happening in a pop culture level that I hope will trickle down because it's only been in the last couple years or year that we've heard Spanish music on the American radio. Really? Like music in Spanish. You have Justin Bieber doing that song with, oh my gosh, I don't know, people. <laughs> but he did Despacito. Oh, right. Yeah. and That was a huge thing. That was absolutely massive. And I think it, it wasn't Wilson and Yandel. I think Pitbull had his own song, Just Him, that was on the radio for a time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's everywhere. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 
And then there's a Brazilian artist that I absolutely love because I like Brazilian musical a lot. Cool. But he did a collaboration with Cardi B and Selena Gomez. Nice. See, I think that's great. You you kind of mix it together. You know, you have people that are established and they're giving voice to somebody else who maybe isn't but has their own authentic thing. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, they did Taki Taki with a Brazilian artist called DJ Snake. Okay. And both Selena Gomez and Cardi B speak Spanish. So they would have this part in Portuguese. And then when one of the women were singing, they would sing in Spanish, I believe. So it was really, really interesting. And Taki Taki is like, when it came out, blew up all over the radio. So on that level, and a lot of things that Lin-Manuel Miranda is doing, Mm -hmm. I feel like we're starting to get these celebrities who are trying to expose another side of Latinx culture with music. Yes, as it should be, right? Right. It's a huge part of the culture as well. Music is a massive part of what's important in culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a good step. Yeah. It's just one of the ways that we can kind of bring people together. But unfortunately, I think some changes are very slow. And that's one of them. (laughs) Yeah. But the good thing is, I think, to your point, there is some slow, steady change. And that's good. Even for me and in my field in voice acting, where my agents will send me things specifically for Latinx characters and things, and people are even writing a lot more Latino, Latina characters in everything, podcasts and commercials and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know how often I do bilingual work now for voiceover stuff. And uh, oh wow, yeah, it's really cool to, you know, talking about like, oh, say the Mexican thing correctly and say the, <laughs> the Caucasian thing correctly. <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal. But I think the more people get exposed to it, the, the less scary it is, right? So for you as a Latinx person who is lighter and is doing all these things, is there a difference between being in the audio world where you can just say digitally that I am Latinx and get these Latinx parts compared to the world where we're seeing each other and how you are received and perceived as a Latinx or Chicana woman? Oh, that's a good question. There is a difference. And I think for audio work, I mean, you know, the image comes out, you have headshots for voice actors the same way that you do for on-screen oh, actors. I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah, and to be honest, I think it's more of a formality. I, I hope it is, <laughs> but uh, because that would do me absolutely zero favors. But the fact that I speak Spanish and I have a, uh, for me, I have a Spanish language voiceover demo reel that I send out so that people can understand that I'm Hispanic. But there's still a lot of clarification that's involved, especially when you come to like, well, I need a Brazilian accent. Oh, that's great. I'm of Mexican descent. So that's not going to sound the same coming from me. No, it's those are very different accents. For sure. So that like level of definition between the cultures is not there yet. I get a lot of requests for a, well, can you do a generic Latino accent? No. What does that mean? (laughs) I don't know. And there's parallels in other cultures where you have like, oh, this is street culture. You know what I mean? And and what is that ultimately saying? Yeah. So the definition still isn't quite there yet. But one of the cool things that I think about voiceover is that there is this level of trust there saying that's how I represent myself. I'm saying I am of Mexican descent, and if that's what you're looking for, that's what I got. 
you know? Right. There's a trust there. And for voiceover, there's this newer, new-ish thing of saying, there are so many people in this field. And if I'm looking for a Mexican part, I'm going to cast a Mexican person or a person of Mexican descent instead of relying on a very talented individual to do a fake Mexican accent. If only the rest of Hollywood could take their their mark from that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Luckily, I think the money is what makes that difference, right? Like you have an actor who can pull in, oh, I can sell thousands of tickets in a movie theater. So I get cast for that versus someone who is straight off nowhere who says, oh, I'm Hispanic. Oh, that's great. But can you sell thousands of movie theater seats? You know? Yeah. do, Do people know your face and want to see you and things? Yeah. And so I think that's what's cool about some of the voiceover stuff is that you do have enough variation to do that with. But even so, there's maybe one. There's still that territory of token a little bit. And so for me, I occasionally get in these moods where it's like, you know what? I would really like to maybe not just get Latinx roles, you know? Yeah. I can sound... Well, what if I pass for white, sure, or something, you know, I don't have an accent. Uh, I can do other things. Yeah. You know, so it can veer off in that general territory of token, too. So it's just a fine balance. It really is. So how do you assert or do you assert your ethnicity in public? Or is that something that doesn't really happen very often? How does that influence your day-to-day life, your culture? Ooh. So I do, so you know, like on my Twitter, I put Latinx, mm-hmm. not just for myself, but for other people who want to get into voice acting or for clients, you know, agents, whatever. They like to know that there's representation there. So I do present myself as Latinx, mostly too, because for me, I guess I think I have the luxury or privilege, I think, of not looking that part and getting forced into those roles. Mm-hmm. So I have luxury of choosing to present myself that way or not right. versus someone else who doesn't have that privilege. So yeah, I do present myself as Latinx. However, I find just being mixed race, <laughs> I don't know if you do this or not, but I usually will dial up whatever culture I'm around, you know? So if I'm around a Caucasian person, I'm going to talk, you know, maybe like I do now, be <laughs> courteous and respectful. If I'm around somebody that's Hispanic or something, I'm going to throw in a lot more like Spanglish <laughs> because that's a need of mine to have that, to be able to express that culture. Have that community to be freely yourself. Yeah, exactly. And so for me, I was raised not even knowing the English words for certain things because everybody knew the Spanish words. So I still struggle with some of that where I'll say something like, I don't know, like like chancla, which is like, you know, the sandal. Mm -hmm. And I say chancla and everybody I've ever met up until recently (laughs) has known what that is. But now, you know, like I moved to Minnesota. So Nobody really knows what chancla oh, is. No. I, you know, sometimes I'll have these like little faux pas like that and I go, oh, never mind. Uh, sandal. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the other word. <laughs> yeah, that, that word that I rarely use. But I think it's kind of fun to play with culture and to be able to be different versions of yourself. I don't know if that's the actor in me or what, but to be different versions of myself is fun. And then be able to explore the cultures of other people, too. I'm, I mean, that's completely valid. The, are you familiar with the term code switching? No, what's that? It's actually exactly what you're doing. So code switching is based off of the understanding that different cultures have certain dialects, certain ways that they speak, words that they use, 
a certain mannerism when they're talking. If I'm hanging out with my cousins who are black, I will code switch and match the more truncated, more expressive, I guess you could say, language. Yeah. Or I know how to dance and I taught for a little bit, salsa, merengue, and bachata. Oh, cool. So I used to be conversationally fluent in Spanish, but when I'm, t- <laughs> <laughs> I lost it. But when I'm talking to someone, who is in that culture, I code switch to talking about those things as well, because I can talk about Celia Cruz and Selena and all all these things all day long. (laughs) So code switching is a natural thing that people do. It can be confusing when you don't have a solid feeling of yourself. Yes. Like if you don't know who you are, it can feel very jarring to feel like you have to do that. But once you're more secure in yourself, Code switching is a very easy and natural thing, and there's nothing too wrong about it. It's just something that we, as mixed people, do and notice and are more aware of because of the nature of being multiracial. That's fantastic. I really I want to read up more about that because I think that's a really important thing. And I mean, psychologically, too, like say if you're a people pleaser or something like yeah. that, you don't want to alienate anyone, but you still want to be yourself, you know? And yeah, I think that point that you mentioned about as long as you have a solid foundation for who you are, then it's totally fine, I think, to to exaggerate parts of yourself that are real, you know? Yeah. That's cool. It's something that I would, I don't want to say encourage, but if you're doing it, I would want people to feel secure in the fact that they do it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's kind of like when in Rome. Mm-hmm. I think it's very healthy because if you are struggling with fitting into a certain culture, code switching can actually be really affirming as well for you. If you can comfortably mimic or act in a certain way around a culture that you want to feel included in, then you feel affirmed. Like when I'm going to a powwow, I've learned rules and things that are unspoken, ways that people will know that you're part of the community or not. Mm -hmm. And being able to go and knowing what I'm doing and how to act makes me feel more and more like I belong, if that makes sense. Sure. I I don't think it's anything to be embarrassed about either. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And, you know, again, I think as as long as it's in there in you and you, you have this I don't know, there's a credibility to it in that you do identify with that, then yeah, why not, right? Yeah. It's just part of life. And, you know, I think we're just coming out of the loving generation, one generation removed from that, I believe. I could be wrong on my timing, but the idea of being mixed, dealing with different cultures and being able to float in between is very new. Yeah. And not a lot of people know how to talk about it. So I understand why there's a lack of communication and and even podcasts about this because just like latinx and chicana and how those terms are evolving we as mixed and multiracial people are learning how we can define ourselves and still be part of all of our cultures yes absolutely it's a lot of work (laughs) (laughs) it is but you know and i also think that it's I don't know. I don't want to be cheesy, but it's a little bit of a gift, too. And to be honest, like how many people are pure these days anyway, right? Purely one thing anymore. Less than claim it. (laughs) Yeah. So 
you know, yeah, I think that's that's where everybody's heading. And again, you know, I, I say it a lot, but the culture is important. How you're raised, what you're around, regardless necessarily of your ethnicity, however you're raised is important. It sounds like you were, I don't know about your parents, but it sounds like either through your own growth and development or through your parents that you are now very secure in your identity and being able to fit in the community despite maybe not looking like what someone would expect or immediately be able to clock or identify. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I, I end up talking a lot about that. Growing up, I didn't have that. I wasn't accepted by either one, um, by my Mexican-American friends, my Caucasian friends. Uh, neither one of those groups accepted me for various reasons. That unfortunately has happened to a lot of us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it's happened to most of us. And so for a while, I thought like, well, is there something wrong with me? Am I supposed to be one or the other? You know, and then I realized as I grew up that, you know, the more Caucasians I met would go, no, you're not. You're not Mexican. You're not Hispanic, right? That, that's No, you're not. And I'm like, you know, you don't get to disagree with how I was yeah. raised. <laughs> Hi, I'm sorry. Were you born in my family? Right. Did you, did you witness my birth? Yeah. And then I realized that there's that, I don't know, maybe some cognitive dissonance between, well, I expect you to look a certain way, given your culture, though. And then I realized that it the, the whole thing was meaningless and sort of this construct, and it became what made people comfortable mm -hmm. rather than what was true. And for me, in my own life, even as an actor, what's true is probably the most important thing. And it is just true that my my mom is Mexican. Yeah. Like, that's just true. And I can't do anything about that, nor do I want to. But for a long time, I denied that part of my life, you know, I, especially growing up where it's like, I'm going to be Caucasian because at the time, for me, I saw them as the more successful, highly paid people. And that's what I wanted to be. Yeah. I think at some point, I think like you're doing, you go back and you re-explore that and you go, no, there were these great things about being raised this culture that I was doing myself a disservice by repressing. Yeah, and you can't blame yourself too much because especially when you're growing up and you're experiencing what kids do, kids, it's a natural brain developmental thing to try to group people. Yeah. It's a monkey brain <laughs> instinct where you are monkey trying brain. to, <laughs> yeah. You, you know, that primal part of you that is looking at a group and that was necessary before because if they weren't part of your group, they probably yeah. would kill you, you know? <laughs> and it's just a leftover instinct. People are trying to learn what groups are. And especially in that developmental period, when you start realizing people aren't different in some way or another, it can be very, very hard and I went through a time where I didn't want to be black or white. I just told people I was indigenous or Native American huh. because I had had so many bad experiences yeah. with those two cultures. Who could blame you? Nobody could, you know? <laughs> it's a hard thing. And I think especially if you don't have parents or it, it's something that takes everybody a varied amount of time to come to a conclusion and to a comfort within yourself. But I think everybody has to take that journey. Yeah, that's true. They do. I don't know. I'm excited that you are where you are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And been really surprised at how inclusive at least the arts are really trying to be. And I, I hope it continues. I really do. And I think, you know, from the things we've talked about today, 
normalizing it and realizing mm-hmm. that everyone struggles with identity um, <laughs> is good. We can all connect over that, maybe. <laughs> Hopefully so. You being in the arts and what you're doing with voice acting, what some singers are doing, I think that we can put some hope in what you're doing, that that will drive the culture in America, hopefully soon, in a more accepting wave. Yeah, I think so too. I think the the more little Hispanic roles I can get, the kids shows especially are some of the things that I just love doing for that very reason, because now kids can grow up seeing themselves in little TV shows and cartoons and stuff like that that I do, like one for PBS, for instance. And I love being able to do that. And I hope that that continues beyond me, beyond everyone else. And we get more exposure to that culture. And it's so important. I love that you're doing little kids shows. We unfortunately didn't have it when we were growing up, but not having it, I think, has pushed a lot of us creatively minded people to create. Yes, that's very true. And again, we we say like we don't need extremes now because most things are somewhere in the middle, yep. right? Most things are a mix of left and right and up and down and black, white, brown, whatever you want to be. Most things are going to lie in that realm as much as we want them to be simple and separate. They're just not. And I think that's beautiful though. Yeah, it's a great thing to, to kind of live in. I hope that everybody kind of gets there. It's kind of the goal of these conversations is helping everybody find acceptance in themselves and then trying to communicate that to the outside world that we exist and we're here and perceptions need to be changed. Absolutely. And again, that's what everyone is moving towards, right? Everyone is moving towards integration and, you know, we talk about purity and stuff and that's not really a thing anymore. And we need to embrace that because I think we're made more beautiful for having multiple cultures, multiple ideas. Yep. And there's a lot of fear mongering too around that change. Mm -hmm. And I hope that seeing multiracial people embracing all their cultures will kind of counteract that fear that if something's not pure, it won't exist. That is a fantastic point. I think you hit on the crux of what fear is, that fear of scarcity, the fear that you will disappear or that your culture will disappear. But if we keep talking about it, we keep integrating it, then not only does it live on, it becomes integrated, accepted, and evolves. And I don't know, isn't that the point? (laughs) You'd think, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I like this conversation. (laughs) Good, man. Me too. And I'm I'm really happy that you've got your podcast, you've got a book going. I hope that more people listen and enjoy what you're doing because I do. Thank you. And I am going to be listening to your audio drama and I hope people are going to find that diversity in what you're doing as well because that is su- such an important thing. Thanks. Yeah. Video games, animation, commercials, all kinds of stuff I'm trying to do as much as possible. <laughs> Oh, gosh, <laughs> I'm going to restrain myself because you brought up animation and I have feelings. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Maybe we need another podcast. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Great. I have to bring you on again. <laughs> oh, how terrible. Ugh, the agony. <laughs> That's another thing we could talk about all day. But <laughs> Probably, yeah. 
where can people find you? What would you like to plug? Oh my gosh, that is a good question. I would say XY Podcast is something that I'm still very much working on. You can hear me in a bunch of different audio dramas, though. I try to support my fellow podcasters. So, you know, you can take a look at, I don't know, Dance and Albion, gosh, a lot of other things. If you send me a list, I can put that in the show notes and make that available to people. Yeah, absolutely. And more than anything, I always post stuff on my Twitter. So if anybody wants to, you know, give me a shout out on Twitter, you most certainly can. I have a very complicated Twitter name just to make it easy on everyone. (laughs) But yeah, at Mrs. underscore Missy underscore Miss. That will be in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) I decided to be a punk and do all of them. So yeah, I'm open to talk to pretty much everybody. So I'm happy to have talked to you. And thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you for being on my podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Some Kind of Brown. We have a growing private Facebook group that you can join as well. If you would like to support the show, I do have Patreon with some pretty sweet perks. You can buy me coffee through the link in the show notes or through the link tree to make a one-time donation if that's more your style. And leaving a rating and review on iTunes makes it easier for our colorful family to grow. All of your support helps me keep going with this podcast. Thank you to Purple Planet for the use of their song, Love Life, and I will see you later with some more Shades of Brown.